Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. So this past week, um, Derek and Heidi, Rachel and I, had the opportunity to go to Orlando, Florida, to a conference with Converge, our church planting network. And guys, i got to be honest with you. I am a terrible, awful conference attendee. I'm just the worst. I don't go to any of the sessions. I'm pulling other people. I'm talking with people. We're sitting around. We're sitting at a table, drinking coffee, talking about Jesus, talking about discipleship. So I'm an absolutely terrible conference attendee, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I love playing hooky from the sessions, and I love talking and connecting with fellow church planners, hearing what's going on with them, and sharing about some of the amazing things that are happening here in Clarksville at Redeeming Hope. But in the, the, the short time that I was in a session, I took a picture, and I'll put this up here for a brief moment. So I was, that top part of the picture was one of the sessions at a church called Harvest Bible Church in Florida. It's at Converge's main headquarters. There's about 700 church planters and pastors from our network gathering together to worship Jesus and be trained. And so there's a picture of Derek and I, and then there's also a picture of me at Corona Cigar Company. And as I was talking to all of my friends at Converge, I was just telling them about two things. One, I was telling them about this arrival of Derek as a co-lead pastor here at Redeeming Hope and how excited I was for them to meet him and get a chance to learn from him as I've been learning from him and, and see what an amazing guy he is. And then the second thing I was talking about was Corona Cigar Company. It's like Mecca for cigars, and it's amazing. I love this place. It's one of my favorite cigar places in the country. And so I was getting all of these guys together so that we could go out to Corona Cigar Company. And when I got there, the first thing I did was went in the corner of the room and took a selfie. So I wanted to share the good news about Derek, right, and his arrival coming onto our team as a co-lead pastor. And these pastors I've built friendships with for years that know about our church, that pray about pray for our church. I wanted them to meet Derek. But then I also wanted to invite our friends to celebrate together that we're in Orlando by going out and grabbing some stogies at uh, Corona Cigar Company. So when you, have a, when you have a good thing, right? When you know about good things or you know a good person, you want to tell others, don't you? It's natural. It's like built in. It's like ingrained in our DNA. And I got to tell you, if you've ever promoted anything good in your life, if you ever told someone about a restaurant, if you ever introduced someone to a friend of yours that they thought would, would, would be encouraged by meeting them, if you've ever done that, you have a title. Did you know that? You have a title. And your title is evangelist. That's literally the word evangelist means the teller of good news. And we're all natural Evangelists, that's we're hardwired. What we we share what we believe is good and we share our, our relationships with others, right? So we're evangelists of good experiences, restaurants, entertainment, music, and movies. We're also evangelists of good relationships as well. You want your friends to meet other good friends. You want to see the connection that can happen between them. And this actually comes from a deep place in the human heart. You see, from the very first pages of the Bible, God created and designed us to be like him. The Bible says we were created in his likeness, in his image. And God created us to share in his 
goodness, to share in good things with him and to share good things with us. And so thus we are created in his image and we want to share good things with others. And he gave us a responsibility. God gave us a mission when he created us. Just like God has a mission to bless the world, God gave us a mission to care for creation, to tend the soil, to to help the creatures within creation to thrive. It says to have dominion over all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And that word dominion means a careful, um, generative, nurturing mission. We were designed to have a generative, nurturing mission mission. And we were made to share in God's mission for the world and share in his mission as a family, as a community, not just solo, not just Adam doing it, but Adam was given Eve and that together they were supposed to care for God's creation to have something that was generating more beauty, right? That was nurturing things. But here's the problem. What we find in the first few pages of the Bible is that sin entered the world. And we see that that mission to care for things has been distorted. It's been warped. And we lost this connection with God. We lost this connection with one another, with ourselves. And, And my friends, we lost our mission. We lost our purpose. You see, we're in a series called Connected. And we're talking about our vision as a church and how we long for meaningful connections with God, with others, and with the world around us. But we often struggle to have those connections. And just as a reminder, this is our vision. Our vision is this, that we exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. So what does this mean? How does this play out? And why do we feel like Clarksville needs a church like Redeeming Hope? My friends, today we're talking about how Jesus restores our mission that got lost in the Garden of Eden. We're talking about being connected to the world and specifically how we are invited to help others follow and find Jesus. So our text today is going to be in John 20. And to the text that we're going to today, Jesus is still in his first day after being resurrected from the grave. And he comes to visit his disciples and he gives them an invitation into a mission, into a renewed purpose that echoes throughout human history to us today in Clarksville. Let's let's look at these words from John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. My friends, the question that I have for today that I hope the sermon will answer is what if you didn't have to wonder what God's will is, but he has already invited you into a clear calling for your life? Our main point for today is that our church is a family of faith that connects others to Jesus by connecting with the world around us. Every member a missionary, every environment a mission field. And we're just going to talk about three points. Connecting the world to the risen Jesus. Connecting the world to the wounded Jesus. And finally, connecting the world to the sending Jesus. Let's look first, connecting the world to the risen Jesus. Going back to verse 19, the first verse we read. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
Now, Jesus had died just a few days before, and earlier that day, Mary Magdalene had seen the tomb, seen the stone rolled away, and she wept at the tomb. And then Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. She believes, and then she understands, and then she goes back to the disciples, and she tells them the good news. She was the first evangelist. And side note, it, the fact that a woman was the first evangelist telling of the good news that Jesus had resurrected is insane for first century culture. If you are writing this to try to trick people, if you were writing this as fiction, if you were writing this to try to fool people, you would be doing a terrible job. Women's testimony in the first century was not even admissible in court. They weren't considered reliable witnesses. And so the fact that Jesus appears to a woman first sends her to tell the disciples that he is resurrected. And it's recorded in the Bible that the woman, that a woman was the first person to see Jesus and tell of him means that there's validity to this because it wouldn't make sense with someone reading or writing this in the first century to lie about this. Now she goes back and tells the disciples, but then they've locked the doors. They're still in hiding. They were afraid that what happened to Jesus would happen to them. And what we see at the beginning of this, as we enter into the story in the evening, the end of the first day of Jesus' resurrected life, that people are having vastly different experiences. Jesus being resurrected, there's confusion from some, there's doubts from others, there's belief. Certain people have seen him, certain people have experienced him, certain people are waiting to experience him, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus appears, and the locked doors have significance. The reason for the locked doors was that they were afraid of the Jews, but the purpose of the locked doors in the text is to display Jesus' miraculous visit to the disciples. He has a physical body. It is resurrected, but it is transformed. He can teleport. He can go different places. He can walk through closed doors. He's changed. It is clear. He's got new body, new miracles, and a new power. So Jesus appears, but then Jesus speaks. And the first thing he says is peace. And it's this word shalom. I find it very interesting that the first words of Jesus to his disciples are such a compliment. It's a bookend to his last words on the cross. It is finished. Look with me at John 19 verse 30. It says these words. He said, this is Jesus on the cross. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. My friends, the work of redemption was completed in that moment. Jesus filled up with the sufferings of all humanity of all time. He took the punishment for us so that we can experience salvation. And then the first words he says to his disciples are peace and shalom. It is a compliment to this. Jesus now brings reconciliation. Jesus now brings flourishing. Jesus now brings life. You see, the work is over with it is finished. Now we can can begin to reap the rewards of shalom, peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with each other, and peace with the world around us. Jesus is changed. Jesus is alive. And my friends, as we end this first point, I want to say that we exist as a church to connect the world to the risen Jesus, who is alive, who is present, who is here for us when we need him. 
Next, we are connecting the world to the wounded Jesus. Look with me at John 20, verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then his hand and his side, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. My friends, Jesus then shows them something remarkable. And we don't know up to this point in the narrative. As we've been following the narrative of Jesus' first day, this is like new information. It's like a twist in the story that makes it all the more sweet. His wounds are still present on his resurrected body. This means that God himself will be forever marked by his work for us. That Jesus' sacrifice is now over, but the marks and the wounds of his sacrifice for us are eternal. This means that he does not need to sacrifice himself again. Jesus is, the purpose of Jesus' wounds are his victory and his validation. Jesus' wounds are his victory. His sacrifice for us is enough and his sacrifice for us is eternal because the wounds are present on Jesus' body and Jesus is eternal. Look with me at Hebrews 10 verse 14. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This means that your sin does not re-crucify Jesus. It does not hurt him more. He has already experienced the ultimate sacrifice for us, and he has come out victorious on the other side. There's a beautiful poem for a guy named Edward um, Shalito, and it's called Jesus of the Scars, and it says these words. It says, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Jesus' wounds are his victory. But not only that, Jesus' wounds are his validation, his credentials to the suffering race of human beings. He can identify with all of us because his wounds are still present. Your wounds and hurts and pains are not foreign to Jesus. They're inscribed on his hands. They are pierced on his side. And my friends, this seeing of Jesus in the flesh inspires joy in his disciples. And my friends, Redeeming Hope, we exist as a church to connect the world to a savior who has been wounded for them, who knows intimately about their hurt and their pain, who has anticipated all of it and resolved all of it at the cross and the empty tomb. We, we are called to connect the world with the wounded Jesus. Finally, we are connecting the world to the sending Jesus, look with me at John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he repeats the peace a second time. He's trying to emphasize this. Jesus was sent by his Father, and now Jesus is sending us. And the character and the nature of our sentness, our mission is intimately connected with the character and the nature of how Jesus was sent. So parallel to Jesus' sentness is how we are sent. This is a big deal. Day one, post-resurrection, Jesus says we have a mission that we are being sent out. He's speaking this to scared, frightened disciples in an upper room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. 
And in the nature of Jesus' sentness, we are sent. And the disciples were not being sent by Jesus from a position of political and social and spiritual and moral strength. They were sent by Jesus from a position of weakness. They are scared. They feel alone. They're still trying to process what is going on. And in that scared, lonely upper room with locked doors, Jesus appears, shows them that he has the wounds permanently marked on his body. And then he says, I am sending you as I have been sent. We are sent out. And thus we, you and me, we have to now understand how Jesus was sent. Because remember, it says, as, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So in order for us to understand our mission, our sentness, we have to look at how Jesus was sent. So to help us understand how Jesus was sent, we have to go back to John chapter 1. Look with me at just this one verse that highlights how Jesus was sent. And the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. My friends, there are four markers of Jesus's sentness from John 1.14. Personal, incarnational, father-centric, and grace and truth-filled. Let me briefly explain these things. The first way that Jesus was sent was personal. It says the word became flesh. It says that Jesus is a real person. In Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus humbled himself. He became a man. He became a man in every way. He was found in human form. Jesus was personally sent and he personally came. He laid aside his rights and privileges as God to connect with normal human beings and the normal human experience. Jesus was sent as a personal, personally sent. Next, Jesus was sent incarnationally. It says he dwelt among us. The summary of how Jesus was sent is this word incarnate. It means that he became flesh, that he dwelt, that he conversed, that he lived, that he embodied all the fullness of God to the entire world. So if you're confused about God's nature or character, even as you're reading in the Old Testament, you think that there's a difference between uh, a God that seems wrathful in the Old Testament but seems loving in the New Testament, you always look to Jesus. You look to how Jesus responded. You look to how Jesus taught, and you see that the fullness of the Godhead dwells within the person and the work of Jesus. And we see this in Colossians 1. It says, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, Jesus lived among us, incarnated. He was present with us. He lived with us and among us. He suffered with us and for us. He fully embodied the fullness of God in a fully human form. He was 100% God and 100% man. This has powerful implications to how then we are sent. And we'll look at those in just a moment. Next, we see the third thing that how Jesus was sent was he was father-centric. He says, from the father. Jesus lived his entire ministry following what his father was doing. Think about this. Jesus was God incarnate. And yet he constantly prayed to do the will of his father. He says, I exist to bring my father glory. Jesus said to them in John 5, he said, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see my father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Do you see he's constantly fully obedient? He's submitting to his Father. He's fully obedient to his Father, fully in line with his will. His life was following his Father, even when it meant he was following his Father to his own death. So Jesus' Jesus' sentence is personal. It is incarnational. It is Father-centric. And finally, it is grace and truth-filled. It says full of grace and truth. My friends, as we look to the ministry of Jesus, Jesus extended grace to those who needed it, who weren't religious, who didn't look, sound, and act like him. And wherever Jesus went, those were the outcasts, the sinners. Those people loved him. And the religious people hated him because he extended this unmerited favor to the people that didn't fit the part, that didn't follow the rules. That is full of grace. But also we see that Jesus was full of truth. He fully communicated the truth of his Father's love to the people that he ministered to. The truth of Jesus brings life. Jesus said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is truth. And that truth gives birth to life. So in summary, the sentence of Jesus, it was personal. He came as a person. It was incarnationally embodied the fullness of God. He was father-focused, fully obedient to his father, and he was grace and truth-filled. So that's how Jesus was sent. Now, here's the beauty of it. Remember, it says, as the father sent me, even so send I you. So in the nature of Jesus' sentness, you and I are sent to connect with the world in four ways. Personal, incarnational, Jesus-centric, And grace and truth filled. Look with me. We'll briefly explain these four. Personal. My friends, here's the deal. We live on mission, but people are not projects. It's not about what others do. It's about who they are and specifically who they follow. And so we want to genuinely invite people into our life, into our story, to love them like Jesus loved them without any requirement that they believe what we believe. We have to get to know people and care for them in a personal way. We are sent personally, not seeing people as projects, but seeing people as beloved children of God. Next, we are sent incarnationally. My friends, we are called to leave the comfortable and the familiar and to move out into our neighborhood, into our community, with our friends and with our neighbors to incarnate the love of God to others, to literally embody it. So we have to ask some questions. What does this mean? Well, we, have to, we have to ask some questions about our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. What is the language of the people around you? What language do they speak? What terms do they use? Since we've moved to Clarksville, I have learned what a DD-214 is. I've had to figure that out having been in the military community and I see people wearing shirts and signs about when their DD-214 date is. What's the language? Learn the language of the people around you. We have to learn what are the unique hurts, pains, and troubles that the grace of Jesus and the truth of the gospel can bring healing into. What are the unique wounds and hurts in our culture, in our city? What are the unique burdens that our friends in Clarksville have? The burden of trying to be a good parent, trying to be a good military spouse, trying to be a good husband or wife or child. How does Jesus bring freedom to these burdens that people carry with them? How does Jesus speak to the soldier, the military wife, going through a difficult time, 
your neighbors and friends. My friends, we are required, we are invited by the sentness of Jesus to lay down our rights, to lay down our preferences. Even we are called to lay down our political views, our our verbal expression of those things to love and serve others with the grace and truth of Jesus. We are called to lay our rights down like Jesus laid his right down to embody the love of God to people around us, to ask questions, to understand them, to speak their language, to be like Jesus did coming down from heaven to meet with us. Third, we are called, invited to be Jesus-centric. Our mission, our sentness is not about us. It is about Jesus. My friends, the church does not have a mission. The mission of God has a church. This means that our standards for others, our personal opinions, they don't matter anywhere near as much as Jesus matters. And and this is what D.A. Carson said. He said, Christ's disciples do not take over Jesus' mission. His mission continues and is effective in their ministry. It's Jesus' mission, our partnership and invitation. It needs to be centered on Jesus, not our preferences, not what we believe about minor issues about the Bible. It needs to be centered on proclaiming, following, and helping others find Jesus. And finally, the nature of our sentness is to be grace and truth-filled. This means that we show unmerited, unearned favor towards others. This means not being hostile, not engaging with Facebook fights or silly arguments or divisiveness politically or socially or Uh, any of those things. We're not called to do that. We show unearned, undeserved favor to others, especially when they hurt us. It is easy to show someone kindness when they're nice to you. It is dramatically harder to show kindness to someone when they are unkind to you, when they don't believe what you believe. And but we're also not just called to show grace, we're also called to demonstrate and show truth, to be truth-filled. We must explain and share the good news of Jesus, which brings freedom and life. We're not just called to be friends with people, we're also called to at a certain juncture in ways that are natural and appropriate to share about the good news of Jesus, to be bold in our faith and to be bold in understanding the truth and delivering truth with love. So how do you live as sent sent ones? How do we live like this? How do we live personally, incarnationally, Jesus-centric and grace and truth-filled? As Jesus loved us, so we love others. We must understand the love of Christ. We must be filled with the love of Christ. We must study the love of Christ. We must contextualize it. Take what he did at 2,000 years ago, and say, if Jesus was here in Clarksville, Tennessee, or wherever you're watching this from, how would he walk? How would he talk? What are the things that he would value? What are the things that he would spend his time on? John 15 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It must first begin with receiving the love of Jesus for us and then responding to it in repentance and faith and obedience by loving others around us. So who are your neighbors? Who are your coworkers? Who are your friends and family? This week, in the next seven days, can you invite them over to your house and share your story with them and hear their story? Can you hear the story of how maybe this couple got married or got engaged or hear, hear the story of their children or how they got to Clarksville? 
Can you schedule a time to share specifically about the story of God and invite them to follow Jesus with you? It's just that simple. And there is no key to it. There is no special track that's going to do the job. It's just being faithful to share what God has done in your story. Clearly share the story of God and how those things have connected. Your story, God's story have connected. And then inviting them to say, would you like a story like this? So if you need some training on this, you can go to our website, rhope.cc slash three circles. That's the number three and then circles. rhope.cc slash three circles. There's a simple three-minute training on there on how to share the story of God in a simple way that can hopefully be effective when you invite people over to your house. Just be bold. I know it's going to be nervous. The first time I ever did that, I was at Golly G's right down the street, and I was sharing with somebody about the story of God for their life. I'm a church planter. I'm a pastor. This is my vocation, and I was scared to death to do it. I was sweating bullets. My back was covered with sweat. I know that's super gross, but like I was at Golly G's, and I was like nervous. But the person responded favorably. The person chose to give their life to Jesus. Why? Just because I faithfully shared You don't have to be magical. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to faithfully share. Redeeming Hope, we exist as a church to be missionaries that connect the world to a Savior who has sent us in his love, his power, and as a continuation of his mission and his incarnation into the world. So here's the beauty of this. We're not called to do it alone because Jesus said, wait in that upper room until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that day, that morning, whereas that night he's sharing with the disciples, that morning the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in the Christian. And that spirit gives us life and that spirit gives us power to accomplish his mission. You see, the God that created the heavens was willingly confined to this earth. The God that created man was brutally murdered by the same men that he created. And then eternally bears the marks of the punishment for our sin. The God that spoke the universe into existence by the word of his power speaks peace to his disciples. And the God that left heaven to fight for you and sacrifice himself for you now calls you to join him on his mission to see the world brought back home again. So if you're watching us, you're tuning in and you're not yet a follower of this Jesus. If you look over the course of your life and you cannot find a specific moment where you have put a stake in the ground, where you've said, yes, I choose to not just hear this message, not just believe that it's true, but I obey by making Jesus Lord and King over my life, where then I will join in his mission. I will advance his kingdom, not my own. I will join his mission and reject my mission for my life and lay my life down before the author of life. If you haven't yet done that, I want to invite you to do that today. Your life can have purpose and meaning beyond yourself. It can be rooted in how you were originally created. You were created to receive the love of God and reflect that. To be loved by God and then out of that overflow of that love, be on mission for God to care for the world. All you have to do is hear, believe, and obey Jesus. Hear this message that Jesus died and rose for you. Believe that it's true for you. And then obey by making Jesus Lord over your life. And when you do those things, you will join his mission for the world. Now, if you look over the course of your life and you have identified as a follower of Jesus, my friends, we were created to share good things. Far better than cigars, even far better than co-pastoring. 
right? We're created to share about Jesus. And we're created to share about Jesus as a family on mission together to experience Jesus's goodness and then to share his goodness, to be good evangelists and not evangelists of a, of, a, of a cigar shop, not evangelists of a change in our church, not evangelists of a restaurant, not evangelists of a good job opportunity or good place to live. We're called to be evangelists of the best news ever. And it should come naturally for us. We receive mercy so that we can be an example to others and then we sacrifice. It's just so easy. Just sacrifice a little bit of your time. Just a little bit. Carve out a little bit of time every week to share with others what God has done for you. It, it can have eternal significance. The cost-benefit analysis is so worth it. So the question I have for you if you are a follower of Jesus today is who are you going to invite over this week to your house that doesn't have a church family? or that might be spiritually curious, that might be disconnected from God that needs to hear this message. And my friends, Rachel and I can do that. We do this. We open up our home to people that don't believe what we believe, and we have multiple meetings scheduled this week to do that very thing. We model this out, and I want you to model it out too. Because as Jesus was sent, so he sends you and me. You see, our church is a family of faith that connects others to Jesus by connecting with the world around us. Every member a missionary, every environment a mission field. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited to lay your life down and pick up a new life that is lived like a missionary so that every restaurant you go to, every encounter that you have at Publix or Kroger when you're getting your groceries, every time someone cuts in front of you on Madison Street, you are invited to think like a missionary. And we won't do it perfectly. We won't be amazing at it. But as we stumble along, if we trust in Jesus and we are obedient to him and we carve out a little time in our week every week to reach out to just one person, my friends, that can have eternal lasting significance. And I want you to join us on the front lines of discipleship. This church is not here to serve you. It is here to connect the world with Jesus. It is to be served. We are here to be served by Jesus to receive his love for us. And then out of being served by Jesus, receiving his love for us, we are then responding in repentance to one another, caring for one another. We are responding in faith by hearing, believing, and obeying this message daily. And we are responding by opening up our lives to be on mission. So who are you inviting over this week? Who is gonna sit at your table? Who are you going to share a coffee with? Who are you gonna share your story with? Who are you going to hear their story and empathize with them? Who are you going to share this message of Jesus with? We do not operate out of this stress and strain that the burden is on us. It is on Christ, but we are invited to join him on the front lines of mission and discipleship to see many people find and follow Jesus. Thanks so much for tuning in to this gathering, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.